So what kind of properties do you guys lend on? What makes you stand out amongst other lenders? What regions are you focused on? What's the weirdest loan you have to process? What are you seeing in the market? What are your preferred loan parameters? Tell us about your underwriting process. How did you get into the lending space? This is BIPS, your peek into the lender landscape, where we get into the minds of leading commercial real estate lenders to understand their perspective of the market, what they lend on, and how to get deals done. I'm Kimberly Zarbler, and your host, and this is my co-host, my older and wiser brother, Yaku Zar. Wait, wait, were you being sarcastic? Today, we're here with Dan Sachs. Dan Sachs is a managing director at Greystone, a commercial real estate lending investment and advisory company headquartered in New York. Dan specializes in multifamily lending across a range of platforms provided by Greystone, including Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, CMBS, MES, and Bridge Financing. Prior to Greystone, Dan worked in loan production at Wells Fargo and also at Freddie Mac. Dan holds a bachelor's degree from University of Maryland's College Park. Most recently, Dan financed a $50 million loan, a 10-year Freddie Mac refi for Parkview at Livingston, and a $46 million agency loan on a suburban property in Philly, as well as a $77 million refi for a Philadelphia area multifamily property. Dan, thanks so much for joining us today on BITS. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks. So Dan, can you start off by telling us a little bit about your role at Greystone and what you focus on? Sure. So I manage a production team that originates multifamily and healthcare loans, primarily in the agency, Fannie Freddie, HUD, Bridge space. Um, Then we have additional products and features uh, that Greystone also offers to its clients to kind of enhance that that core product set. And we work day to day with borrowers all across the country, uh, originating their loans. Um, and we uh, we re- we retain the servicing. So we're you know a single point of contact throughout the life of a borrower's loan. And so from the beginning, we are advising and structuring and working to deliver optimal loan terms, whether that's on an acquisition or a refinance. And then we're always on call if there's anything of need throughout the life of that loan. That's awesome. Dan, you mentioned a couple of different products from Bridge and and Agency Loans. Can you tell us a little bit more about each of those products? Sure. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and HUD are generally regarded as products where an asset is is seeking and ready for permanent financing. When I say that, I mean predominantly the fixed rate types of loans, although Freddie Mac especially has an attractive variable rate loan option, but primarily relating to assets that have achieved a stabilized cash flow level and the loan is being structured based upon the in-place cash flows. That compares to Bridge in that Bridge is primarily focused on an asset in transition that perhaps needs some CapEx or some investment to position it to its optimal setting, at which point then it would be ready to be refinanced or sold if refinanced with a permanent loan product, such as a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, or HUD. Yep. And for your bridge product, is it primarily for the purposes of transitioning into one of your agency loans? 
That's correct. That's correct. Got it. Awesome. Okay. So tell us a little bit about what types of properties, I assume, you know, obviously multifamily focused uh, regions, et cetera, that you focus on in some of your agency originations. So the bulk of my productions, and it varies year to year, have primarily been in, in the Northeast, followed by the Midwest, the Southeast, and then the West. I tend to follow my clients with them. We have the ability to operate nationally across all 50 states and territories. I've yet to, I've done a loan in pretty much every state, but I, I, I haven't yet gotten to the opportunity to close a loan in uh, Hawaii, Alaska, Puerto Rico, and some of the other territories. But <laughs> Those are all the funnest places to go. Absolutely. I'd love to do a site visit out there. So <laughs> That'd be awesome. When coronavirus was starting, there was a bit of shift on agency requirements. How does that look now? Is that still in place? Do you, is it going to stay around for a while? What's your expectations there? So at the onset of the coronavirus, I mean, credit really tightened up, and understandably so, as you know, everybody was kind of in shock and unable to, to kind of make any projections. Upon you know, the federal stimulus and the, the subsequent rounds of it, um, think credit seemed started opening up and transactions have started to really flow a lot, a lot more smoothly. And Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac and HUD have instituted a COVID reserve, which is effectively an escrow equal to um, set months of mortgage payments based upon the leverage of the loan. Most typically it's between six and 12 months and which they hold on to, to ensure that if after the closing of that loan, if an asset has any um, inconsistencies or troubles with their cash flows, that they've built up a safety net to cover those payments. And following the conclusion of six months, if the property meets the debt service coverage ratio of the underwritten loan uh, at origination, then the COVID escrow is is released back to the borrower. And so I think that has been an effective mechanism um, for opening up the, uh, the, credit, the credit box again and allowing volumes to kind of return to their, 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 their typical levels pre-COVID. Um, and I do think that depending upon how the economy performs and, and, and how COVID kind of plays out with regard to the virus itself, we will see adjustments with regard to the size of that escrow, with regard to how many months are required to be escrow. But I think that, you know, and I'm optimistic that we will continue to see um, that amount, you know, becoming less and less as, as we move past. But should we see, you know, a, a dramatic uptick, you know, we, we could return to the size of the escrow at its onset, which was 12 months for loans above $6 million and 18 months for loans above, below $6 million of principal and interest payments. And that has come in now to nine months. Um, and, you know, hopefully um, 
we'll see movement down to, to six. But I, I do think that while COVID is, is still out there, um, borrowers can expect that, that escrow to remain in some form. Right. And how about on the pricing side for agency? For a period, pricing went down very significantly and then sort of inflated with bigger spreads for a bit. It seems to have stabilized a little bit now. Where is it at? What can our borrowers expect? How do you see that evolving as well? Sure. So the Fed's bond purchasing capabilities have really created stability in the bond market. And that has allowed mortgage spreads to to come in dramatically relative to kind of some of the peak levels experienced at the onset of COVID. Right now, rates are have truly never been lower. I think Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, depending upon the loan size, the leverage point, and some of the other credit parameters, you know, you can be expecting a rate between 275 and three and a quarter, three and a half. HUD rates are like incredibly low, below 3% with MIP or lower, depending upon, you know, if you qualify for, for green, in which case you have a lower MIP, or if you're affordable relative to a standard market rate property. But, you know, to give you a range on HUD, rates are really between, call it 240, 245, plus the MIP payment which brings kind of your all in um, if you want to put the two together between 265 and and 3% and that and that's for a 35 year fixed rate term so we've definitely seen interest rates come down and based on a lot of the expert opinions that I'm reading you know they're expected to remain in kind of this range for the foreseeable future. So now truly is a an opportune time to kind of capitalize if you're a borrower. Dan, you've touched on this a little bit, but if you could expand on it, you've been in the industry for well over 10 years. What would you say is the short-term and long-term outlook for multifamily? That's a great question. You know, I think that I'll start with the long-term because the long-term seems easier to predict. And that is that fundamentally, there remains a strong supply-demand imbalance in the multifamily market and, and specifically in, in the affordable workforce housing subsector of the market. There are not enough affordable price points for the average wage-earning family across this country. You know, so that is a positive for the industry. Because anytime you have demand outpacing supply, that leads to a bright long-term horizon for property owners. In the short term, I think a lot of it will depend on you know, specific markets and how they're faring relative to COVID and local employment. I think that you would want to know in this, at, at, in this, at this time specifically, you know, what the situation is at the property and exhibit hands-on management to really understand if your you know your tenants are have been out of work or if they're on unemployment you know we're keeping an eye out on you know the um, i believe the in the middle of the month the expanded unemployment which provides an extra $600 for qualified families which 
came out to be, in certain cases, an increase relative to their regular wage, what kind of impact that has. So I think in summary, multifamily is strong and is projected to remain strong as an asset class nationally. I think there can be weak pockets in certain markets across the country. And I think that those markets would, you would want to look to the impacts kind of, I just, I just outlined for any initial indications that of softness. And what would you say makes you stand out amongst other lenders? I think that anytime you have somebody that has a credit background and started as a credit analyst and kind of worked their way up and also has the ability to understand the borrower's needs and, you know, an aggressive personality to advocate and fight on behalf of a client, right? That, in my opinion, are the best core skill traits for my job. And what that allows me to do is understand what a client needs and is looking for, Mm -hmm. provide advice and recommendations that best fit their business plan, and then allow me to best advocate on their behalf to all of the other parties needed to sign off such as credit and the agencies, you know, with regard to closing the loan. And I think that that really makes a strong difference. 100%. Yeah. Dan, you spoke a little bit about helping guide your clients. We have a lot of listeners who are new in the space, both borrowers and brokers. What advice would you have for people getting started in the world of real estate and real estate finance? I just think it's a fantastic industry. I think that the demand is real over the long term. It is a hedge against inflation. It is, you know, fulfilling a good mission, providing sound housing is important as a country. And I think that you can do so and achieve, in my opinion, one of the best risk adjusted returns that exists in the market, you know, relative to other investments. All investments have risk, but Multifamily has proven to be of the strongest asset classes in the commercial real estate category. Mm-hmm. Your exposure to any one individual tenant is rather low, again, depending upon the size of your building. And you're able to, you know, that creates a steady cash flow stream. And you're able to obtain leverage on that at historically low rates, which allow an investor to achieve a stable and presumably growing return on their investment over time. Cool. Dan, I've been hearing a lot about HUD, pretty familiar with some of their products, but it would be helpful, I think, for myself and our listeners. What's your perspective on HUD? It seems like there's some good opportunities for investors out there these days. I think it is an incredibly attractive option and, in my opinion, presents a compelling value proposition. And the reason I think that because HUD does have some higher fixed costs to get the loan closed and it is a longer process. So it has kind of underperformed relative to its annual volumes, you know, relative to other financing types. However, since rates are so low at call it 240 plus MIP, and that's fixed for 35 years. I can remove valuation risk. I maintain my flexibility. 
to engage in a sale, which if interest rates increase in the future, my loan is assumable and would have value right to the purchaser simply by assuming my loan, which carries an interest rate that's below the market, right? Right. They're automatically assumable? They are assumable with HUD's approval and similar to agency loan types, the servicer puts together a request for transfer approval and it's fairly streamlined. Cool. That's awesome. And so back to the flexibility, there's a declining prepay structure for the first 10 years, which effectively gives you a 10-year loan with a 25-year free option. So your prepayment is fixed and substantially lower than yield maintenance or defeasance. Outside of 10 years, there's no prepayment penalty. And should interest rates rise, should cap rates rise, should certain unexpected dynamics occur, then you're hedged. And to be able to achieve all that at what is currently the lowest rate relative to its leverage point, which is 80% on a cash out refinance and 80%, 85% if a transaction is either an acquisition or cash in, is just as you know, someone who thinks about owning real estate and what I would do if I were in my borrower's shoes, I would have a few of my assets at least covered with a HUD loan just due to those benefits and the ability to not have to worry about where rates and cap rates are in the future, but yet maintain all of the flexibility that I otherwise would have, and perhaps more so due to not having a yield maintenance or defeasance. So I think that that's really interesting. The agencies are still extremely active, extremely competitive, and remain a very strong option as well. But I think just looking at the HUD execution now more than you may have perhaps in the past does have some merit. Awesome. That's definitely good advice. Dan, I really love that answer. I'd also love to know, what was your funniest loan you ever closed or most interesting deal that had to get done? One of our favorite questions to ask. You know, one time I was working on a large portfolio looking to refinance. The portfolio was being operated by a woman who inherited the general partnership from her deceased husband who passed unexpectedly. And prior to the refinance, we learned of a lien that was filed by the initial partners of the deceased husband. You know, they claiming there was miscommunication and they were owed investment returns that they didn't receive. And, you know, so I had to roll up my sleeves and I, I kind of, we got to a point where the attorneys weren't really solving the problem and were threatening more than resolving and effectively got both sides to realize that, you know, this issue does need to be resolved before we can close. And we came to a happy medium, which at the closing of the transaction, the closing of the loan, each party, even those that received their negotiated settlement, were appreciative and said, thank you. And I'm not sure if that's so funny, but 
it was of the more interesting curveballs that I've seen and unusual ways that I've had to get involved to see something over the goal line. Definitely, definitely interesting. Sounds like it was quite a challenge. Now that quarantine's coming to an end, is there anything that you look back on during the time at home, during the time working remotely that you think was interesting that you learned or something that you're proud of for taking on? Sure. I mean, quarantine really was, you know, it impacted everybody in different ways and everybody had to, you know, adjust. And with that adjustment, I think most can say that they have family members at home, they ended up spending more time with their family. Yeah. I really got to spend more time with my kids than I have ever been able to in the past, you know, just due to the demands of the job and career and team and clients. Um, generally, you know, keep a pretty full schedule from the morning till later at night, you know, or I had carved out family time over the weekends. And it was just so nice to be able to have family dinners with everybody every night. So that was kind of eye-opening and, you know, allowed me to grow. And as a father and a husband, I'm appreciative that I got that out of, you know, the situation. I love that. Dan, thank you so much for joining us today on BIPs. Thank you for having me. Dan, would you mind letting the listeners know the best way for them to reach you? Absolutely. I am glad to talk real estate and real estate finance with anyone. I can be reached at dan.sachs at com. Gray with an E. That's right. E-Y. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for joining us for this episode. We hope you learned something new. Tune in next week when we speak to another lender in the industry. Until then, take care. This was Bips, your peek into the lender landscape. As Jay-Z says, you don't have to go home, but you got to get the hell out of here. Kim, everyone's already home. Oh.